This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for talk radio, it's budget day. And after four o'clock, when this thing is tabled, we'll have more to chew down on. But we're anticipating, well, some things have already been telegraphed by the Ford government. Uh, Also in the budget, some things that we might be expecting to see. Global News Radio's Brianna Carnegie weighing in. We already know that the Doug Ford government plans to announce free dental care for low-income seniors. They'll also legalize tailgate parties outside sports games and will slap a new logo on Ontario license plates. What we don't know, however, is what cuts will be made to help eliminate a $13.5 billion deficit. We're going to get that uh, paid down, but we're going to do it responsibly. Brianna Carnegie, Global News Radio. All right, do it responsibly. Uh, Does that mean two, three years out? Try to do everything in one fell swoop. One year, I think that would be aggressive. Uh, How you find that money is anyone's guess, especially when you're also maybe expanding on certain fronts. Uh, You know, obviously, spending on this project to build out transit, wherever that money's coming from, uh, that will be a line item for sure. But, you know, uh, it seems that Ford, running as a populist, will also need to bear in mind that people, when they like this populist Uh, bent of things would want to see like a reduction in hydro prices that's the biggest item that's really arguably what uh, brought him into power because people are so pissed at the previous liberal government where hydro prices have been hiked under their regime so there's that uh you know car insurance that one continues to be a sticking point i mean this is where andrea horvath propped up the kathleen Wynne government in promising a 15 percent reduction can any doug ford do anything on that front these are some of the things, personal taxes, I don't know how much wiggle room he's got as far as that's concerned. If you want to really uh, whack away at a deficit that is anywhere from 12 to $15 billion, but they've already signaled that they're going to save uh, close to $450 million in delisting some things on the OHIP menu and uh, what they call medically inappropriate measures, where he finds efficiencies you got to grow revenues, obviously, so that you can make up for uh, the costs and, uh, you know, to basically supersede the spending. And that's what they're trying to do, reduce the spending and hopefully increase the revenues. There had been a suggestion from, I think it was uh, Ben Eisen writing for the Fraser Institute, uh, making more cuts to certain ministries and programs so you can accommodate a tax cut, both corporately and personally. Have to wait and see if Vic Fidelli's in for that. Uh, I'm sure that will be met with howls of outrage, as I was saying earlier in the hour, uh, that Smokey Thomas, the head of OPSU, was worried that uh, there will be millions more in cuts to public services. Well, Doug Ford has already kind of intimated, and on this program last week when we spoke, uh, that he's looking at a hard cap on public sector wages. When he says hard cap, uh, that means an increase of a modest 1.5% per annum, but nowhere in the realm of, uh, you know, 6 and 7% increases that some ministries had enjoyed under the previous government. So uh, on that note, we'll await and see what's in store as far as the budget is concerned after 4 o'clock, and then we'll really chew down on it. Patrick Brown, Mayor of Brampton, is going to weigh in on that matter and more. Wanted to talk about uh, another industry that uh, may face some stiff competition as the U.S. looks to legalization of pot. Certainly stateside, uh, they're doing it piecemeal, but uh, should the feds ever green light it, 
Canada could be in for a world of hurt despite being first into the game of legalized marijuana. James West has joined us on the line. He's a CEO and host of Midas Letter Live. He's a publisher and recognized authority on investing in the emergency company, emerging company segment. Uh, on the line from Peru, is it today, James? That's correct, John. I'm in Peru. Can I ask if this is business related to marijuana? Uh, it is, in fact. I'm uh, looking at an investment opportunity here where uh, a company is planning to be among the first producers of medical cannabis in, in Lima, in Peru. Well, this is the thing now. Uh, more and more, we're starting to see this phenomenon go global, I guess. Medical marijuana is one thing. How about recreational marijuana? Uh, is there still maybe uh, it's restricted to a very few countries globally and Canada being one of them? Yeah, well, there's many countries. Peru, for example, uh, it's legal. It's it's not illegal to smoke cannabis recreational, recreationally, yet there is no regime to legitimize the sale or trade or production of cannabis uh, for recreational purposes. It's strictly medical here. Countries are different everywhere around the world, and they're all moving at different paces towards legalization of uh, recreational rules, medical rules, etc., so here's my really my overarching question, because it came up yesterday on the program. I didn't have time to really drill down on it. Here you are. You can help me. Uh, will we be able to compete with the U.S. as they go toward full-on legalization of recreational marijuana? Well, the U.S. is restricted from the global market because of its status as federally prohibited. So will we be able to compete with the U.S.? That's not the question, in my view. The question is, Will anybody be able to dominate globally? And, you know, we talk about Canadian incumbents that are the, the first. We talk about multi-state operators in the U.S. context. But we talk about now multi-continent operators in the, in the global context because that's the opportunity. So I don't, I don't concern myself with being able to compete with the U.S. They're restricted state by state. They're restricted federally. They're not really a contender. Mind you, there's lots of value being created there for investors. But I'm hearing from these Democrat candidates planning to run for president in 2020. They're all for legalization of marijuana. And if it's greenlit federally, uh, then we're really into a competitive situation vis-a-vis them in terms of economies of scale, what they can produce, uh, what they can wholesale, uh, build a better product for a better price, so to speak. Uh, What about our toehold in, you know, this market? uh, Does it really represent a threat to people like Aurora Cannabis or Canopy, uh, these big players here in Canada? I, I don't believe so, because Aurora and Canopy are great examples of companies that are already multi-continent operators. They're positioned in Latin America, they're positioned in Europe, they're positioned, positioned in North America. So yes, while we may not be able to compete directly toe-to-toe with the American multi-state operators uh, uh, as effectively as we can globally, you know, you have to look at look at the situation where Canopy, for example, has already a, is a multi-state operator in the United States context because of their acquisitions in the United States. So, I don't think it's fair to say that it, you know, Canada can't compete in that regard because, you know, Canopy is essentially controlled by uh, the company that that owns uh, Corona Beer, for example. So. We're already there. We're already ahead of the curve, in my opinion. All right. And so uh, as these mergers and acquisitions sort of uh, continue to play out and the landscape evolves, how do you determine who's going to be the survivors, the winners, the losers, so to speak? 
Well, in every company, there is a value creation curve. Uh, there's a point where it goes from, you know, uh, a cheap point of entry to a maximum valuation, and then it will diminish alongside the timeline by which cannabis becomes a commodity crop in each country. And that is, again, why the multi-continent operators are so much more important than the multi-state operators in the U.S. is because the global opportunity is far bigger than the U.S. opportunity, even though the U.S. is the largest economy in the world. All right, again with James West, the CEO and host of Midas Letter Live, uh, a publisher and recognized authority on investing in the emerging company segment. Let me ask you about this uh, report that came out from StatsCan yesterday where uh, legalization, they say, has pushed up the price of pot by 17%. uh, And the disparity prior to legalization, the cost uh, roughly about $6.37 a gram, now through a government store in Ontario, $9.99. So they're saying that disparity, if you're going legal all of a sudden, is about 57%. uh, is it because it's still relatively new and the infrastructure hasn't been built out, you know, enough dispensaries and so on and so forth, that you've got that price gap? And uh, the secondary question is, this was supposed to eliminate the black market. doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. Absolutely not. The reality is that 80% of the cannabis sourced in Canada is still sourced from the black market by recreational users. Not so much by medical users. I apologize for the noise, but I am in Peru. <laughs> I was going to ask, where are you? You're somewhere in the, the vicinity of a cop shop or something like that, or you set off the smoke alarm. What's <laughs> no, going on there? What, a, what are you imbibing in? <laughs> I'm, I'm actually at a Spanish wine uh, store, mm. but uh, that's, that's not relevant. <laughs> oh, don't be so quick now, James. It may just be. <laughs> arguably, arguably, that's a whole other conversation. Well, what, 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 wait here? a minute. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the words of uh, Frank in, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Scarface, don't get high on your own supply. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm, uh, well, like I say, it's medical here. I've, I'm a mm. recreational user and a, and a medical user. Mm. But no, the reality <laughs> is, is that uh, 80% of the cannabis in Canada is still supplied by the black market. The reason for that is multiple. A, the cycle by which that has been inflicted on uh, licensed producers by the government means that by the time cannabis gets from the grower to the consumer, it is so dry and it's of such low quality that people are saying, geez, why would I, why would I buy crappy cannabis from the government when I can get fresh cannabis from my local supplier? The other side of it is the illegitimate operators, the black market, is not subject to the twin burdens of compliance in either A, being a public company, or B, being compliant with Health Canada. And the bottom line is most recreational users in Canada have long had a relationship with an illegitimate supplier that upon their first experience with a legitimate supply, they're going to say, wow, oh, it's great that it's legal, but this is garbage. I'm going back to my black market supplier. And that's, that's the truth. Wow, uh, because I'd heard otherwise that it, if it comes down to quality control, they feel uh, more confident in the government product, uh, but you're saying otherwise. Interesting. Finally, branding. You know, this is a big sticking point in Canada because these companies wanted to brand and, you know, have uh, maybe some paraphernalia that they could give out as well or sell, you know, have these stores, uh, storefronts where the brands become recognizable and there's brand loyalty. We don't have that. Everything's behind opaque packaging. Uh, do we need to brand? Cause the Americans allow for that. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's one of the deficiencies in my view in the whole Canadian legal framework 
is that there is no differentiation allowed in branding. There is no advertising allowed. That's insane, especially considered against the advertising regulations pertaining to alcohol, for example, where alcohol companies can sponsor concerts, they can brand swag, as we call it. Uh, but in Canada, you can't do that. In fact, here's an interesting reality is that the black market suppliers are actually packaging cannabis to look exactly like it comes from government-regulated sources because it's so easy to imitate because there is no differentiation. And so a lot of times people think they're buying legal supply because it, it's labeled exactly in the, in, the, in the plain old yellow, red, and white labels as the government supply, yet it's actually being produced by black market providers. Well, that's a, a boon, I guess, to uh, the purchaser here or the customer because they keep the cost of counterfeiting low. <laughs> All right. Well, and it's, yeah, and it's cheaper. It's cheaper to buy from the black market than it is from a cannabis store. That's, yeah, it seems to be a price differential, about 57%, as we pointed out. James, good to speak to you. I mean, take care of yourself down there in Chile, or you're in Peru, rather, yeah. are you? In Peru. Peru, yes. Okay. Don't, don't worry about me. I'm, uh, I've lived here for two years, and so I love this country. And, and Peru, actually, I have to say, is one of the countries that is going to be a global producer of low-cost, uh, concentrated, pharma-grade cannabis concentrates to the rest of the world because the cost of everything here is cheaper, and they're also less restrictive in their regulations. All right. Uh, we thought it was uh, coffee, cocaine, and cannabis, the three C's. Uh Hell of, hell of a place. Uh, we'll let you run along. We'll talk down the road somewhere and uh, safe return to Canada. Thank you. You got a James West again joining us on the line. He's an expert when it comes to investing in marijuana stocks and so on and so forth. It's here on the Oakley Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.